0: grateful to be here this morning and thankful for the opportunity to try to bring a message before you. I ask that you would pray for me today that I would say what the Lord would have me to and nothing more and nothing less this morning. Thank you. You'll take a a scripture reading this morning. We're going to turn to the book of 1 John chapter 5. And we're just going to read one verse this morning to begin. And uh, I'm going to maybe put a Preliminary comment that I especially want you to hear. I'm going to talk about some sensitive things this morning in regards to children. And so I'm going to try to speak in some veiled language this morning. Um, I may say a word or two to indicate what I'm talking about. And then from that point on, I'm going to try to speak in veiled terms so it's appropriate for our children uh, to hear. But you know your child and you know where they're at in maturity. And if you don't want them to hear certain things... Um, there is a TV back in the back, and i 'm sure i don 't know if it 's on right now or not, but um, you can go back and listen and and uh, but there are some things i 'm going to speak of this morning that are a little sensitive, and so I just want to give that disclaimer to parents that uh, if you don 't feel comfortable with them being in here um, i 'm going to do my best i 've got four boys in here, and um, the six percent of the time they pay attention i 'm going to try to be careful all right um, so we 're going to begin our reading this morning in first John chapter five. And uh, read verse 18, and this has been a confusing scripture to me in the past, and and I think um, after having studied and prayed and and that the Lord's helped me to understand a little better what it's saying. And uh, I want to use this as a starting point this morning. And this may take me a couple weeks to to fully get out, and so um, I don't know how it's going to go today, but I'm going to try to trust the Lord that He'll help me to get out what needs to. Um, the title of our message this morning is Six Silent Sins. Six Silent Sins. And so we're going to take this as a text and we're going to try to break down this text for you and then we'll kind of maybe frame where we're going to go with this as it's not expository, going verse by verse as it, I try to generally do. But it says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Read that one more time. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And then I'll conclude our reading this morning for, for now. And again the title of our message is Six Silent Sins and I want to start by looking at this verse, and I don't like to do this very often because I think it can be distracting, and, but there are times when I think the translation needs a little bit more explanation, and this is one of those verses that I really struggled with until I kind of dug a little bit more into the text and think I came to a better understanding of what it's saying, and, and certainly, I don't. if you feel differently about it, feel free to express that to me, but... Um, So the first statement says this, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. So it would be self-evident that you and I sin. So if you've been saved by God's grace, there seems to be a contradiction in what you live and what this says. And as I began to dig into that word sin, it is indicating a habitual sin. Something that is done routinely, habitually. And so we know in the scriptures when it talks about sin having, as we sung a few minutes ago, dominion over us, being a taskmaster to us, that controlling us, that there is a sense to which sin no longer has that place in our life. That someone who is born of God is not going to be subject to, as a slave, sin. That habitually doing the same thing over and over where it becomes a fixture in our lifestyle, someone who is born of God, if they begin to develop that, there ought to be a clear conviction. One of the signs that a person has been saved is that internal warfare spoken about in Romans that when I begin to sin, especially of a habitual nature that there's a certain weakness that I'm prone to or have a proclivity to a certain behavior or thought process, that because God's Holy Spirit dwells in my heart, there is this conflict that is taking place that is telling me this isn't right. And there's a disturbance in my conscience when I continue to persevere in that sin. And so this is identifying a person who is saved by God's grace is not habitually enslaved to sin. It continues and it says this, But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Now again, that word keepeth, and we've used this in a different text, whenever this, the text says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word keep means to guard. So, that next part makes a lot of sense. It says if we just substitute that one word. But he that is begotten of God guards himself from sin. Hopefully, you're active about doing that. You know where sinful things are at. You may know the access points for you to reach them, but you guard yourself, not only to going and finding them, but those sins which attack you, that come and try to seize you, you're on guard. That they do not have entrance into your heart and into your mind. And then the last one here says this. And that wicked one toucheth him not. Now, the word toucheth there means to fasten to. And that's a very helpful. There's other scriptures in the New Testament that uses the word touch. uh, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. 1 Corinthians. That word means fasten to. And so, notice in those two phrases put together, as Christians, those begotten of God, we guard ourselves. And as a result, the wicked ones, Satan, cannot fasten to us. Because we're on guard. We're protecting ourselves from the attacks that Satan has. And so this morning, I want to kind of set a framework for some of these things we're going to talk about by saying a few things about this first. Number one, we must be on guard for sin. Now, that's easy to do in other people. Or in other words, it's a lot easier for me to identify. And there are many people who perhaps in our weakness, we keep a running log of the sins of others. And we note very carefully all the things that they do wrong. And when we hear messages or whenever perhaps a conversation with a spouse or a child or a friend comes up. And we know that they're habitually guilty of something. And they perform that sin again. We can in our sinful minds keep a very detailed log of their sins and shortcomings and fallings. We're responsible for us. And I would say this, when, when we're, if you switch around your tendency and my tendency, rather than trying to protect myself from any accusation of sin, do the opposite to yourself. Try to indict yourself of sin. Look back at the things you do and the attitudes that you have. And even as we go through these messages, there are, or this message, there are some things that you might say, I don't struggle with that. That's not something that I have a natural proclivity to. And then there may be others where you say, ouch. I heard a preacher say one time, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? And there's possibly some truth in that. But try to indict yourself. Don't try to round out the smooth edge or or smooth out the edges and say, well, you know, I do that a little bit. But that kind of attitude will not see sin rectified. Don't you realize this morning, in our culture, and even in a Christian culture, we can be guilty of just excusing sin because we're sinners. And taking sin very lighthearted because others do it. But hear me this morning, God does not want you to sin. At all. He recognizes your frailty and your sinful nature. But it is God's purpose over your life to purify and cleanse you of sin. And that ongoing process of sanctification, of being set apart from the world and purified and cleansed from sin, is something that a Christian ought to take with great seriousness. And when we recognize in ourselves a creeping sin that it begins to be habitual, whether that be found in an attitude or a behavior or a succumbing to temptation, we ought not to cast it aside and lay it under this, uh, this umbrella of excuses and say, yeah, I know I do that, but many people do. We ought to guard ourselves and attempt as much as God's strength and spirit will enable us to, to eradicate sin from our lives. We cannot grow comfortable with sin's grip. Very often, sin begins to, the first thing we do is we just get comfortable with it. It becomes a staple. We know it's there. And at first, we, we see it and, and, and it convicts us a little bit, but it's a staple. It, be, it becomes part of us. And then over time, as sin takes root, that conviction, our conscience gets hardened to that particular sin. And so whereas before, when that sin first was planted, we were sensitive to it, and we didn't like it, and we even perhaps tried to conceal it from others because we were ashamed of it. And then the longer that sin is planted, it begins to root deeper, and suddenly we become unashamed amongst those directly around us. Or to ourselves. Or we begin to excuse its existence there. Or we justify it because of circumstances within our own lives. Or, or the behavior of others towards us. And then it gets to this dangerous place where it becomes a necessity in our life. Where that sin, if we try to rip it out. It has so become so deeply rooted into who we are that it takes a part of us with us. You ever ripped out a, 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 a plant? And what does it do? Very often, it, it's, especially those that are deeply rooted, when you pull it out, it can leave a, a huge hole because it rips out everything around it. And the dirt that it was planted in comes with it. And very often that's how sin is, is when then we try to root it out, it takes a big piece of us with it. And it's painful this morning, especially if you are a younger person and you've not had the opportunity for the longevity of sin to root too deeply. Dig it out early. Identify it. Listen, there, And before I get into our first thing here, there is a church culture that exists in the world that if I am guilty of sin I've got to hide it from all of my church family and friends because they'll think poorly of me and that's a lie from Satan we're here for that very reason the Bible teaches us you that see a brother who is in sin ye that are spiritual who sees a brother in sin help him that's in Galatians. I summarized that. I wish I could quote it here, but we're to help them. Being careful ourselves that we're not caught away with the same thing. Don't let the shame of revealing your sin to trusted people prevent you from uprooting the sin and letting it grow deeper. You ever, met those, you ever seen those weeds that they grow and they, then they, they strangle out? the roots next to them of the good plants. That's what sin does in our life. The fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, you know, all those things. Galatians also mentions, if you want those things strangled, allow sin to grow next to them. And then those spiritual qualities that God is trying to place in you are going to be choked out by the sins that you tolerate their existence. This morning, we're going to try to talk about sin today. And I'll acknowledge to you before that very often I'm hesitant to do this because of my own sin. I'm afraid of the phrase, physician, heal thyself. I have no defense for that. I sin. I sin. And I loathe my sin. And if you hear me say something, you say, yeah, Brad, that's you, Brother Brad. Don't negate the truth of the messages for the flaw of the messenger. I'm glad that I can preach things better than me. I'm glad that I can set a focus that says, don't, don't reach for me, reach for that. Follow Because I can preach to you a man that you can follow that was guilty of no sin. Who was tempted in all points but did not succumb to them like you and I. The first one this morning that I would like to talk about is sexual impropriety. <laughs> sexual impropriety. Impropriety means that which is inappropriate. Again, I'm speaking this morning to some degree in some veiled language. Instead of using that word, I'm going to say intimacy. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to substitute this morning for little ears today. I'm talking about All kinds. Of sexual impropriety. Now, listen, we live in a culture today that is immersed in sexual impropriety. You cannot pick up your device in a day without something as an ad or something flashing on your phone. I have been horrified at times when I put a little kids' show on YouTube for my children, and within 10 minutes, there's an ad of something. Grotesquely inappropriate. And I think, how in the world can the culture at any level think it's appropriate to even expose kids to that world, even in its appropriate manner? Right? Like there's an appropriate time to expose your kids to the right side of that, and it is definitely not while they're watching Paw Patrol. It's definitely not while they're watching in their innocent mind those things. But this morning when we talk about intimacy and impropriety in that area, that's a very large swath, that's a very large umbrella that we're talking about this morning. Right? The Bible identifies, and we can turn to 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he begins to give a list of different things. And he talks about thieves, and he talks about uh, those that are swindlers, and he talks about uh, those who are first adulterers. Right? So you know that an adulterer is someone who seeks out and enjoys intimacy outside of the confines of marriage. And I'm going to resist this morning because there's so many things I'd like to get to proving to you that that is wrong and just appeal to what is both biblical and self-evident. Adultery is sin. If you are married and have sought or seek out intimacy outside of that union that you have made and that covenant that you have made with your spouse, that is an awful sin that is damaging Far beyond what words could express. It ought to be avoided. It ought to be condemned. And listen to me today. There ought to be a conviction in your heart. Because this is how perverse that our culture has become. That they make movies and TV shows where the storyline is so intricately written in a way that you begin to root for adultery. Do you recognize that's how much that our culture hates God's institution of marriage, that they will design a storyline where there is a man or a woman that is so hateful and negligent of their spouse and then that person, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, victim of that relationship goes out and finds somebody else and they become interested in that person and that person is so kind and that person is so loving and considerate of them. And then in your own heart, you begin to root for divorce. And adultery. Here's what I would say. Resist those. Don't look at that. Don't watch that. Don't allow Satan to nullify. Don't allow Satan to numb your supposed to be abhorrence of sin. Sin is an offense against God. And he hates it. And for us to find leisure... And entertainment and perhaps even delight in what God abhors is not right. Be careful. What, you know, there were preachers 50 years ago, probably that stood in this pulpit, I would guess, who preached against TVs at all. Because what they knew is that that was an entrance into your home. Ladies, would you let a woman who is known to have committed adultery with a bunch of men in your house, would you let them in your house? Probably not. So why do you let them through your TV? Men, if you knew that there was another man who was after your wife, would you let him into your home? Of course not. Why do we let them into our homes through that device when we can change it? Wisdom of the little song, be careful, little eyes, what you see, is applicable. Be careful, because here's the other thing. First, it's, it's a sin against God. God is offended by it, and what offends him ought to offend us. But secondly, there are little eyes that watch. There are little eyes that see what we watch. And our tolerance of it may be misunderstood as approval. Approval. got to be careful what within our home adultery is sin and every form of it whether it's delighted in tv or whether it's practiced in life it is sin fornication this is a more tricky word in the greek i'm not going to get into the depths of that this morning i'm going to use it how i think it's referenced most of the time here and how we use it in our culture when you have sex before marriage that is sin Again, that's not something that's talked about a lot today. For, I'm, I think because it has become so normalized. You know, there are statistics, and you can look up different things. Uh, the Barna Research Group is a Christian research group, and there's other research groups, but it's in the near 90 percentile high school students which have supposedly done that before they graduate. So essentially, very often, people avoid condemning it for two reasons. Number one, they say It's natural. It's natural. That's what you ought to do. And secondly, I think the number one reason why people avoid it is because most people are guilty of it. And so in condemning it, they condemn themselves. Remember this morning, we're not trying to protect ourselves from sin. If we're guilty, we're guilty. And what we don't want is others going down the same path, the harmful path of sin that maybe we went down just so we can find some common bond in sin. No, what I would rather be the case is what often the writers do is they use their sin as a way of saying, don't go that way. Don't do that. I made a mistake and I should never have done that. And God forgive me and it still haunts me. We should use our sin in that light to try to spur children and young people away from that. But listen, that kind of activity, we could go to 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 6, verse 9, tells us, flee fornication. Flee it. Now that means to run from it. Now if we really break down what that means in a practical sense... That means if you are in a situation, listen, if you're a young person this morning, let me tell you, every person that has been married has been your age and has felt the burning, as the scripture says, for the opposite gender. And it is a burning. It is a fire within where you have this very natural, physical desire. And when you put yourselves in positions and then Satan convinces you that you can be in these positions but you have the power to control it, listen, you have been deceived. You don't. It's a fire you can't control. It will, if placed in the wrong position and situation long enough, control you. That's why Paul says, Run from it. I don't, very often I hesitate to say things because when I really think about what leads to my hesitation, it is cultural acceptance. Right? Because this is such a cultural norm today. But I would say when we really think about what the scripture teaches and you go through the verses of the Bible and then you think about your own experience both. It's not wise for a young man and a young woman to be alone together. It's not wise at all. Why? That's putting them in a position where sin is going to conquer them. Paul said, run, flee it. Now, we could give other examples. Here's another one. Pornography. Pornography is another one. Hear me this morning. Pornography is sin. And here's the sad part. It is so available. More available today than it has ever been. More able to be hidden than it has ever been. People know in that industry, that that could create conflict in marriage and in relationships. So they create things to help you hide it. Young, first, young man, young woman, recognize this. There's a thought that Satan plays in people's minds that, you know, I'm not doing anything. Therefore, it's not sin. You don't know the consequences of what you're doing. There are great consequences that I won't get into this morning of pornography. Very great consequences to pornography. So, what do you do about it? Well, here's what I'll say about any of these things. Particularly one of that nature, which can be secret and silent, which can be hidden very easily, which doesn't have an immediate noticeable consequence. If you think you're going to conquer it on your own, you're wrong. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. I want you to know that. You're not going to conquer it on your own. Very often in things like that, it is very necessary to have accountability with someone who is godly and someone who can help you in that area. Listen this morning. Young men, run from it. There is a, with uh, devices now, ability for parents to have, I don't even know what they're called because my my kids aren't to that age yet, but where you can see what your kids are looking at. I would think that's necessary. Absolutely necessary. Because if you don't think that your children are going to be around their friends, or just be curious and explore because you've got a good kid. Well, let me tell you how many parents and children that I've had to counsel that were good kids. Why? Because it's not a matter of being good and moral and immoral. It's a weakness and temptation of the heart that is very easy to naturally succumb to. So this morning, I would think it would be essential to have that. At least up to a certain age. right? Until there is more of an understanding of the consequences and how drastic they can be. That those consequences of those things, please hear me this morning, can affect you forever. <coughs> Did you hear me? Forever. There are 70, 80-year-old individuals who still have struggles from seeds that were planted when they were in their young teens because of things that were so addictive that they were hard to let go of. This morning, it's sin to married men. There are natural desires that you may have and God has given them an outlet. Don't find it somewhere else. Don't. I'm not going to dwell on that this morning too long. Here's another part, a silent sin of impropriety or, again, you know what I'm speaking of this morning marital abstinence. Marital. I didn't know how to phrase this one. I want to be careful with this. You know what the word abstinence means? I add on the word marriage. Whereas there is a refusal to be intimate. The Bible tells us that there is a time for that. You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6 that there is a time for marital abstinence. First, you must both agree for a set time. Why? Because your minds and your heart are on something spiritual and you're so focused on that you don't want to be distracted. But if it is going to cause a stumbling block for one or the other spouse, you stop. Paul in that same chapter tells us Husband, your body is not your own, but your wife's. Wives, your body is not your own, but your husband's. How many roadblocks, how many stumbling blocks, how, much, how many wedges from the companionship that we spoke about last week that you hear very often the two biggest things that lead to divorce are money and intimacy. Right? Now, there's a lot to that because what I'm expressing this morning is just physical But in truth, that activity, though the world has defined intimacy in all forms as something that is purely physical, let me tell you this morning that it is not. It is not just a physical action that you take. Number one, it's deeply emotional. It's meant to be that way, especially for women. It is a bonding agent to someone. It is a spiritual act, and it is a deeply relational act, and all four of those things, and it is a physical act, and all four of those components are found in that activity, and that activity is meant to to add a oneness in this institution of marriage that God designed long ago. It is a unifying and a bonding agent. And when one spouse or the other refuses, it is in essence an unwillingness to be bonded with that person that God desires and that person seeking a companion, seeking someone to which they can be one with, to glorify God in this endeavor called life. There is a loss that they're experiencing in the oneness that they're seeking, but not finding in you. It is necessary as married couples to talk about it. Not your needs, the needs of your spouse. Now, I'll give you two more forms, and I'm going very quickly. There's a lot i like to say about each of these, but I'm not going to get to it this morning. Watching suggestive content on your phones. I've talked about pornography, but let's get a little more specific. specific. Suggestive content. You know, it's, it's interesting, um, and I've, I've quoted this a lot, and um, Sister Melanie's called me out on it a couple times. There's a court case in the Supreme Court that involved pornography, and there was a case that came before the judge, and, and um, in his verdict, in his decision, he determined pornography was, I know it when I see it. Now, there's not a specific line that you can draw that says, this is and this isn't, but I know it when I see it. Now, I say that to say there is a degree of um, discernment on our end. We can discern very clear things, and then then you begin to get into gray. And in our culture today, it is very difficult to watch anything that doesn't have suggestive content. But I would contend this morning that if it has ungodly, suggestive content, it is still a vehicle Satan is uses to separate you from God. I would be very reticent to recommend anything, to watch anything, to support anything, that I know one of the core tenets of why that show is desirable, why that movie is fun to watch, entertaining, is because of the sexual impropriety. Because, again, what some people might interpret you saying is that you promote not only that show, but what's involved there. So this morning, um, I thought I was going to get to two of these, but I only got to one. I want to say just a couple things uh, before I'm finished today. And that is uh, this in closing. If if this sin is one that has got a grasp upon you, you need help. If this is one that has a significant, it presents a significant temptation for you, where you say, you know what, at the moment I do well fighting that temptation. But it's very real. And I'm weakening. My endurance is being lost in this area. And whether you're not married, whether you've been married for 25 years, there's a lot of things that go on in the span of life that presents unique challenges along the way that the previous stage in life did not present to you. So, I don't want you to think of it like this. You have this challenge, you conquer it, and now for the rest of your life you're good. No, Satan doesn't give up that easy. What he does when we have cut off or conquered one area of that struggle is he evolves it to our weakness. And he presents it at a time when we are weak. I couldn't help, I was reading Pilgrim's Progress, and Apollyon is the name that I think that, that John Bunyan uses for Satan, and he's a dragon. And I couldn't help but notice that the dragon approached Pilgrim, or Christian, when he was in the Valley of Humiliation. He was at this really low point in the Valley of Humiliation, and then Satan came, and he had to fight him, I noticed, all day long. He was fighting against the dragon. That's an allegory to suggest what is so pristinely accurate in the Christian life. When we are in the valley of humiliation and difficulty. Notice it's the valley of humiliation. Perhaps you have fallen to sin. And it has a grip upon you. And it won't let go. And you're humiliated by it. And now, not only are you in this valley of humiliation. You're struggling and you're fighting against a dragon. And from a metaphor standpoint, what a perfect description of what this sin is. It's a dragon. A dragon is bigger than you. A dragon is stronger than you. A dragon has all of these features that you don't have to make it to where it can win a victory against you. This morning. Yet, very often in the Christian culture, within the church culture, within our relationships, it's silent. We don't talk about it. We avoid it. The scripture has a great deal to say about it. So here's what I would say this morning. I've not even given you a breadcrumb because I've done such a poor job even bringing out some verses that I have here I was going to give to you. But let me give you a little bit of hope. Any of the things that I mentioned this morning, and there are more that I didn't mention that I thought thought about mentioning, but I, I didn't, for obvious reasons. I want you to know that the Bible speaks to them and we can find help in them. I would say this to you. Find what Galatians calls a spiritual brother that you think can help you. Because let me say this, the the consequence of being humiliated but then being set free is a lot less weighty and the benefit of hiding it and allowing those roots to take so much more depth or grow much deeper and wrap themselves around your marriage and wrap themselves around your friendships and wrap themselves around your wallet and wrap themselves around, most importantly, your spiritual life. Because then, when you try to pull them out, perhaps all of those other things are going to come with it. This morning there is help found in God's Holy Spirit, found in God's Word, and found also in the love and affection and unity of the church. This morning, don't let the sin be silent. I'm not saying you have to broadcast it and herald it on the mountain. But I'm saying don't let it reside there silently and let Satan continue to convince yourself. Because let me ask you this question, how long have you been fighting it? Have you won yet? Doing it alone? No? Has it been years? Has it been decades? So what makes you think the next year is going to be any different? Maybe what you need is a change of strategy to address this silent, deadly sin. This morning, it's my prayer, sincerely, this is a part of what this scripture was talking about. I didn't say many of the things I intended to this morning, but guarding yourself against it. Because here's the result if you don't. The wicked one fastens to you. You know, in in a fortress, you can have all the walls secured as high as Jericho. But if you just have one sliver open, the enemy can get in. This area is open. It's amazing what it will. I'll say this. In addressing this, no... That the biggest obstacle to you addressing this silent sin is looking at yourself in the mirror. It's you. Not too long ago, I preached on pride in one of our revival. I think Brother Ambrose was helping us in revival, and maybe it was Brother Elliot, and I preached on pride. Listen, it, it's a killer. Because if it does one thing, here's, here, it does many things, but if it does one thing, here's what it does. It secures, or how do I want to express this? It, in essence, enables our other sins by not causing us to face them. If I face this sin, if I try to beat this sin, here's what people are going to think of me. If I admit that I have this trouble, here's where my, this image that I have built will come crashing down. That's exactly what you need. <laughs> You need the image because God has no use and neither do other people truly from pretense and perception. What God desires is integrity of the heart. Transparency and honesty. That when we do struggle with sin, that when we fight against it, That's that's a person that can be admired as someone who can say, this is my struggle and I need help and I've sought to get the help and I've been purged and cleansed of it and now my life and spiritual walk with God is much mightier and stronger than what it would have been had I continued to conceal it. I've often thought when I conceal my sin, when I hide it, whenever I protect it, when I won't address it, what are all the unknown side effects to me doing that? What are all the things that I'm not doing and not saying because my eyes are blinded by my own sin? This morning, I think this sin, though silent that it is, is one that is, permeates our culture and churches and families, and it is deadly. Wouldn't it be wiser as a church, and I'm trying to close here, wouldn't it be wiser as a church for us to put it out in the open Appropriately, so that when our young men and our young women begin to face those struggles, we can say, Okay, this is how you fight this, and here's how you can go at this, and here's what you're going to experience soon if you haven't already. It's coming. And that whenever a person gets married and they begin 10, 20, 30 years later to experience more trouble, that they know that there are people and resources that they are not alone. That it is not them that they have to shamefully hide and bury under the sand. But no, there are other people who have struggles and who have been delivered and helped. And let me assure you this morning as someone who has pastored and counseled people, this is a prominent struggle that people seek help for. And whenever someone comes to me and says, Brother Brad, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed, but here's what I'm struggling with. At that moment, I deeply respect that person more than I ever did. Because I see that they're serious about sin. They're serious about wanting to be close to God and not have anything preventing them. And that they have the humility, as grand as it is, to say to another broken vessel, I need help. Can you help me? I walk away respecting them more than if they continued building that facade. Had a 60-year-old man come to me one time and say he was having problems with this stuff. 60 years old. I thought, wow. I just marveled at the humility to be able to do that. Because he finally got serious about the struggle. This morning, I hope you know, it's a silent sin. Buried, concealed. There's hope. There can be deliverance. There's people who love you and care about you. Very often, much in your life is dependent upon rooting that out. I'm going to stop this morning. I, I hope in the next few weeks that we can deal with a few more of these. Certainly my intent to do so. And um, that'll be a good Christmas sermon, won't it, uh, here in a couple weeks. Uh, so, uh, no, just, just pray to that end that the Lord would help me to have wisdom to know how to proceed from here. Does somebody have a word or a testimony on your heart this morning?